Hey everyone, welcome to Printed and Ship at episode 10, Double Digis, uh, the podcast that talks games and making games. Of course, I'm Chris from Madison, Wisconsin, and with me as always, Adam from the home of Mystery Science 3000, the Twin Cities. How's it going? Dude, uh, glad to be here. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, just, um, I was trying to decide between Mystery Science 3000 or Prince. Um, okay. And I probably should have gone Prince because he's pretty freaking cool, but. Yeah, I would have gone Prince, you know. but. To say more about Mystery Science 3000, what is this? Is this uh, like a follow-up to Mystery Science Theater? I'm not familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, I think it's it's supposed to be Mystery Science Theater. I think 3000 was the follow-up to it. Oh, gotcha. I closed the tab already. Now I feel bad. I can't provide anything. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool, though. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with that now. That, yeah, yeah. That was funny stuff. Yeah, it's a great show. It's yeah. kind of funny. I, I didn't get into that till like after it all. Like I felt like I had a friend who was into it in like Post-peak, middle right? school, and yeah, and I was like, I did not get it till like college. I'm like, oh, this is funny. It but, is funny, you know. But uh, so, what have you been up to? What have you been playing, man? Yeah, um, doing doing a lot of things. Um, just got back from a weekend at the cabin. We had uh, this is the second year I've attended uh, a cabin convention, put on by a coworker cabin and about fifteen guys. Wow. Dude, awesome it was cool so i tried to make it up on thursday night i had to get a prototype ready and do, do a bunch of stuff and then by the time i was ready to leave it was dark and raining mm-hmm. pizza had already yeah. been ordered and consumed so like what's really the incentive yeah well like how far how far are we talking here for two um, and a half hours away okay okay so a little bit of a trek not bad but a little bit of trek and i was tired you know so i'm like okay bright and early on friday friday morning i'm gonna go okay. so i wake Very up on friday question. morning crank through how about, many go oh, ahead go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, very important question. How many bedrooms are there? 15 Ooh, Not people. enough. <laughs> not enough. Okay. Right answer. Um, so sorry. So crank it through. So crank it through, wake up in the morning. And I, like four hours later, I'd done a little bit of, you know, work work. And I've done a little bit of mm-hmm. Adam's Apple game stuff. And I'm like, okay, I, I just have to get out of the house and go. So anyway, yep. showed up and it's snowing. Oh. We get to the cabin <laughs> and there's snow on the ground. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. What is Drove this, October? Two hours north. <laughs> <laughs> it's October, Minnesota. Apparently, there's snow. Yep, so, yep. we played a ton of games, though. Um, some notables that I want to talk about. Uh, um, one called Grand Austria Hotel. This has been something that you know a few friends in the uh, the gaming group have been um, chirping about. I wanted to to try it, and they were able to teach it. We got it to the table. I um, mean, it, it's a dice drafting Euro game. Okay, um, yeah, a lot of clever stuff going on you roll a big pool of maybe 14 dice and set them in columns based on the number rolled. So one goes in the one column. Okay. All the twos go in the two columns. Sure. When you take uh, on your turn, you essentially get two turns per round and there are seven rounds of the game. So it's a very quick game in principle. Still took Mm -hmm. about an hour and a half to two. Oh, wow. And when you take a die, you do an action associated with that die that you took. So for instance, like the ones were like take resource a mm-hmm. and resource b um and so you could uh take resources based on the number of one die one dice on that column so if there were okay. four dice there you could take a combination of four of those re- resources there was also an equation that uh built into that so that you could only take you know two of one and two of another or like mm-hmm. three of one and one of another um, does everyone so have their own hotel in front of them um, where the hotel part came in. So the theme of the game was you're running a hotel. You are yep. serving guests in your dining room 
um, types of food, and then you are putting them in your rooms and then mm-hmm. closing the room kind of thing and scoring victory points. And, and so the, the more guests you get into rooms, the more points you score. Sure. Each room has a different color, so you're trying to kind of set colors. Um, yep. You're trying to score bonus points uh, based on variable goals. Um, overall, this game was a solid design. Uh, glad it's I played it. A lot it. of parts. Looks a lot like of parts. Yeah, crazy. Um, but it was pretty simple, though. I mean, you really made fourteen choices throughout the mm-hmm. game. Now, it it was more than that because you felt like you could do so much on your turn a lot of the time. Our game ended up stalling out. The economy in, in that game hit kind of a. I mean, as dice games can do, we never yeah, rolled the fours. Yeah. The fours sure. was the full economy of the game. There was no economy based on two different <laughs> dice rolls. Yeah, that's so, like, right. We had no money. Mm-hmm. So I started using money to do a bunch of things and now all of a sudden I couldn't get money back. And then now I couldn't open rooms. I couldn't put guests in. Like I just mm-hmm. couldn't do anything. I couldn't like it was that, that classic problem where like you can't get the money to get out of debt. Sure. So you can't do it. I don't know. You might as well <laughs> yep, just yep, yep. You know, commit commit board game. You're already gonna lose lose. Table flip. Go. <laughs> yep. Board game table flip. Um so that ended up being frustrating, but I think the game still is very solid. I would like to play mm-hmm. again, so Okay, so you, you you weren't completely soured on it? No, not completely soured. I think the the theme was neat, and I think the design was cool enough and and um, Euroy and and unique enough that I would come back and try it again. Yeah. However, if that that situation happened too often, like man, you could have built some 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 uh, um, mitigation potential in there. So yeah, I feel like with dice game, there there needs to be a level of like. Um, I don't know what the word I had a word in my head, but like a level of patience with it because like, or at least a level of understanding. Cause like, you know, you have to understand like, Oh, okay. If the dice just rolled a different way, the game would work X, Y, and Z differently, you know? Yep. So I think, yeah, that's kind of the right approach to it. They had it. Now, if, if you didn't want to take one of the dice uh, and do an action, mm-hmm. you could pass. It would be discarding one dice from that group, and then you could, after everyone else is done, you could re-roll and then try to pick one from there. And you could mm-hmm. do that as many times as you want. And I literally did that like ten or fifteen times in the game. And I still still didn't get any <laughs> darn fours. Oh, that's a bummer. I think the dice were sour. Sure. Um, or just dice. just incredibly bad luck or something. Yep. But man, like we couldn't get any money once you spent it. You were kind of in a really you know up up, up a crick. Yep. So. Um, uh... Yeah, so that was Grand Austria Hotel. Yeah, so check that one out if you want to be frustrated with my, your, your money problems in <laughs> real life and in a board game, maybe. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I'd, give it a, I'd give it a play again. Um, awesome. Patchwork, um, Patchwork is a game that I've given away now multiple times to other people, uh, and I actually hadn't played it uh, much up until this weekend. Got to the table maybe two or three times this it's weekend. Two players, right? Two-player game. Okay. You're quilting. You're picking... Um, tetris like tiles you're placing them on a quilt mat or on a player board and trying to piece these things together Mm -hmm. um as many spaces as you have open at the end of the game minus two points and the coolest part about this game is this is actually a engine game in disguise because the more buttons you take on your pieces the more you get paid and the more pieces that you can buy and so as you progress the game you take pieces you take these tetris pieces and they have a button on them and they have a time symbol on them. Mm-hmm. The time symbol is how much you progress on the track. Once you progress past a button uh, on the track, you get paid all the buttons based on the buttons on your, your quilt. So the more p- 
pieces that you take with buttons on them, the more you're getting paid next time, the more pieces that you take with high amounts of time, the faster you progress on the track. So it was a really cool back and forth. Um, and then there's actually some interesting player, player interactions based on that tracker as well. So 100%, I loved it. I would play it again. I'm going to pick up my maybe my third copy, and now we're going to keep it in the house. <laughs> I've only heard good things about that game, well, especially in yeah. your situation too, where you play a lot of two-player games, right? It feels and like right up your alley. It's totally up my alley. This is going to, I mean, my wife is going to love this one. Um, she's going to crush you at it, though. She's going to crush me at it. And, and I think this is kind of near and dear because this is in UA Rosenberg title, UA Rosenberg title. Mm-hmm. And um, he does this game mechanic. Like, this is him. Um, he makes this this Tetris-style game mechanic. And he's done it across light games, and he's done it across heavy games, and he's done it in the middleweight. Um, and he's pun- just pumping them all right now with uh, with Stronghold games. So... Um, Indian Summer, Spring Meadow, um, oh, Cottage sure, Garden, sure. yeah, yep. uh, Feast of Odin, Patchwork, like you name it. Like he has just, like he has this market cornered. <laughs> um, we have a game that we're developing right now that we think takes that takes that mechanic and really innovates on it and opens up some completely new design space. So, um, so we're interested or we're excited about um, showing that in the future. But but most importantly, like I'm doing my my benchmarking homework mm-hmm. so that we really know um, what makes these games tick. Yep. So that we can build that into our game, but then really focus on where we're innovating as well. What's really funny is I feel like um, when we first started doing this and we were talking like Brewing USA and all these different things, I would always be referencing like, oh, this game or that game, and you just hadn't tried them yet. And it was just no, like, I was oh, new. try this game, try this game. Yeah, you're like, obviously you were newer to board games, and like I was relatively newer, but I had a decent uh, number on my belt. And now it's like, now it's like you like you have to do so much research, research to make sure that you are not only making a fun game, but also that you're not making the same game as someone yeah, else. Yeah, you right? do. There's so many out there. Yeah. And and I think it, it, it helps a designer to just play other people's games because yeah, exactly. you know it, it doesn't muddy your, your decisions, but it, it informs your decisions. And I exactly. think as a game designer, if you get stuck in a game design, like the best thing that you can do is literally play other people's games, whether it's a prototype or whether it's a finished copy, like you're going to get so many ideas flooded in your head. Also listen to podcasts too, because once people talk about nuggets of information, that's going to make your game, your, your, your mind go wild mm-hmm. and you're going to be designing a game while you're listening to the, some random podcast. And all it takes is like one thought, right? Like one little nugget of information that makes you go, oh, what if we did this? What if we tried it this way? What if we took that theme or that idea and twisted it in this way? And just something you know, like that's going to get you there. Yep. That's why this, that's why this hobby is so fun. And then exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not even a hobby. That's why being a publisher, being a designer is so fun. Like yep. we literally get to make fun in a box. Yeah. Um, what about you, Chris? What, what have you been playing? Yeah, I finally, finally got um, games to the table this last weekend. Um, oh, yeah. It's been a while. One from Gen Con, which is now, what, three months ago? Jeez. Um, it's so, really no, two. Two. Okay, two months ago. Thank God. Um, Downforce expansion, Danger okay, Circuit cool. expansion. Um, so I mentioned Downforce in the past. I really enjoy this game. I mean, I don't need to go into mechanics of it, but the expansion just adds um, new actions for each car. Sure. So you can like there'll be instead of a car that's like, oh, this car moves forward any time it lands in a square. There'll be things like it's almost like a drafting thing. Like, I mean, um, dr- is it drafting where you're behind a car and it's like, oh, if you're yes. directly behind a car and that car moves, you can move into its spot. So it's just like inching your car forward. And then they gave you a new board, which has like a really crazy board with like a loop the loop track and like just like a bunch of different fun interactions, which is kind of funny because you would think that like, I mean, like it's a racing game. So the track matters. Right. But like they add enough mechanics into it. Like 
there's um, a point in one of the tracks where it splits and you have the option to go right or left. If you go right, it's a single lane, so you can't pass anyone, but it's two pieces shorter than going the long way. But obviously, if you go the long way, you could get around other cars. So sure. it's kind of this like weird scenario where we had like um, the car that was winning. Um, we boost. I boosted another car that wasn't doing great into the fast lane. So then the winning car and the car that was ahead had to like go the long way. So it was kind of this really interesting um, mechanic, especially because you're moving other players' cars. You can decide like, oh, I'm going to send them down this path or this path. So that's funny. Um, I mean, yeah. Not only does that have like all the brilliant um, decisions of like Mario Kart, like do I take the shortcut or not, and you know risk going mm-hmm. on the ice or in the water or yep. getting turned around. Um, but you can also move other people's cars. Yeah, That's great. which is so crazy. It's such a good mechanic because I mean, it, it makes you like, and especially since like you, you're like um, I mentioned in the past, you're not always make, trying to win the race. You're trying to make a car that you bet on win the race. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm totally fine moving the yellow car because I want them to win. So I'm going to do this thing that's good for them and there's this really fun um moment in the game where you you like you kind of look at someone and you go like oh we doing this like we're in this together <laughs> yeah i'm gonna make you win let's this. Do this we're partners yeah exactly you bet on that car i bet on that car exactly let's just get it done um but then the funny part is then that person's like well i didn't bet on myself so then they, sure. they potentially self-sabotage which is kind of funny. funny uh another game that i played i'm not sure if i'm gonna pronounce this right um, it's called Illimat, I-L-L-I-M-A-T. Um, I was doing a little research, and apparently this was published by the dis- the band The Decemberist. Oh, really? That's yeah. super funny. I'm not too familiar. I mean, I've, I feel like I've heard their name, but I don't know what song. I've heard the name. Yeah, I feel like I'm sure if I like heard a song. Big in the YouTube era? Yeah, it's really weird, because like they, like, so they published this game designed by this guy. I mean, I don't know if it's like a friend or something, but um, the game was prefaced to me as, oh, it's like an old classic card game. Which, obviously, I'm not super. Ver- I mean, like I've mentioned in the past, I'm not super versed in like euchres and um, we all gotta those... play some euchres, man. <laughs> Dude, I have no idea how to play. Um, some euchres, like pinochles. When people say like trick taking games, I go, I don't know, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. But um, I love trick taking. I know you do exactly. It's so weird. Um, it's great. I just like. I mean, like I, you know, I just never like. It's kind of funny being in Wisconsin. I like, like people like. I mean, it's funny at work there's a group of people who play like um, card games, like almost every day at lunch. And it's just like classic card games, like very Wisconsin esque thing. So, um, but it's just not a thing I've group doing. So I don't know. Um, but this game is, it's very, yeah, exactly. Sheep's head and all that stuff. Um, this game is very interesting because it has a really cool table presence. It's got a cloth board, huge board, four quadrants. Um, and then in the center, you put the box, the box of the um, game and it has like four different seasons on it. Okay. So like you rotate the box and it's like, oh, if it's winter in this season, you can't do one of the three actions. If it's fall in this season, you can't do one of the three actions. So you're trying to like rotate the box to be able to do the actions oh. in each spot, which I thought was kind of interesting. Box is part of the game. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but like the mechanic is you place three cards in each location um, and then you um, you have four cards in your hand. And on your turn, you can either place a new card in location um, or place a card in location that matches a number sure. that exists there. So if I, I have an eight, I put an eight there. I can take it. Or if there's a four and a four in there, I can take both of those cards. Or if there's a four, four and an eight, I can take all the cards. So it's like a trying to collect card game. But then there's like there's cards that are like suits. It's like um, the winter suit. It's like, oh, whoever has the most of these loses points. 
and whoever has the most of the summer ones gains points sure. at the end of the game, as, at the end of the go, round. Less incentive to go. Yeah. yeah, cool. Sure. Yeah, but the the thing about the game that kind of put me off is that like, and maybe this is just how classic card games work, but it, there was just too much random. So like, there'd be four card, three cards out in each location. So you have what twelve cards to to try to do actions on. But then after you place a card, you just draw another one. So it's like, oh, well, I drew a winter card. That is how so, card games work. They're super random. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. But like, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of weird because I, I think this does this does make sense for a lot of people. Like, oh, this like if you were into those type of games, this might make sense to you. But then at the same time, I go like, just play those games. Yeah. Like for me, I'd, you know? I'd rather like, start with a hand of e- equivalent cards as my opponents and then use them in a different mm-hmm. way, like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. And that's where this game fell apart around. for me. Go ahead. It, exactly, yeah, because it, it kind of felt like, I mean, th- there was just no control over anything, you know? Like, it was just like, and then, and then like, once the three cards are cleared, you get to take a token, and it was like, okay, why am I clearing the second set of cards so another person could take the last one? Like, you know, it was just kind of like disincentivizing. Like, I mean, I could see like strategizing a little more to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to take a card, even though that's the goal of the game to make someone else do this. And it just, I don't know. It's just not my type of game. I could see why some people may like it, but um, the graphic design looked neat. It was kind of this um, black and white looking box, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's a black and white box, black and white mat. Um, the cards have these some these like really crazy like tarot type designs on them. How big was the box? Which is really cool. The on the mat was pretty. I mean, the box is probably. I'm trying to picture in my head. Um, what I would equate it to, I would say probably five by five. Okay. So, pretty small, I guess, in the middle, and then on the mat, what I guess, fifteen by fifteen. Was it a I'm trying to do the proportions. Mat or what kind of mat? No, it was the cloth, cloth oh, mat, cloth, yeah. which I actually really liked. I thought it was really interesting. Again, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for games with the cloth mat, I but um, right. I know it's just a really cool design. And, and I guess spoiler, that's kind of like what we're going for. In our <laughs> we're we're going to be coming out with a cloth mat game pretty soon. <laughs> not not by exactly. our own um, idea, though. I mean, the, the designer approached yes. us and said, hey, this is the game. And it was just like, yeah, here's a piece of paper. Tur- t-shirt paid the cloth. Or, you know that he made the cloth on, but <laughs> he, literally, he literally took it off that day off, <laughs> shredded it he put some i thought it was weird he wasn't wearing a shirt at protospiel the whole time he didn't wear a he shirt didn't wear a shirt no um but oh, I, I saw the thing and i'm like you know what that just that to me is is a just a smart game design decision Smart component yeah. decision. There are some games yeah. that make so much sense. And I think in this, like, it could just not have a playback. Sure. It would have open space. But at the same time, it added a lot, yeah. you know, and, like, it's, it, and it, that just speaks to table presence. And I would say this game, if you walk by, you go, ooh, what's that? Um, but then you go, oh, it's just an old card game. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure some people don't think that, but. You'll like it or yeah. you'll hate it. Now, is, how long has this one been out? Is this because um, I, I just looked up the December? I want to say like twenty sixteen. Okay, so it's a relatively new. Yeah, I mean they were from like um, the two thousands, so they've been around a while. So that's hey, yeah. everyone's getting into game design. We got and there's an expansion, and it's thirty five bucks. Jeez, that's a lot of money for componentry here. Sure. Well, not yeah, not, yes, not there's everyone some nice produces you know at the most cost. No, there's metal right? tokens and yeah glass things and so maybe it's not insane, a lot of fact a lot of factors too right like exactly quality who you're producing with where you're producing that all matters and honestly i probably should have like been more like i was totally prefaced with hey this is like an older game I mean, like a, a classic card game you know so like 
like with that into it like i'm like oh yeah this is exactly you know i mean i don't like those to begin with so like i probably won't like this but like yeah it was it was it was cool i wouldn't recommend it personally but like if you're into classic card games and you're looking for a board gaming one this is the one for you it's fine you sound like my wife it was (laughs) it was fine asterix funny face being made yeah. um, so that like um i well we spent a bunch of time on that so let's get into our um next segment here so um we, we have some questions so we don't have a game pitch this yeah. week um hey if you're listening to this you got a game pitch uh, we want to hear from you so you send yep. an email to adam at adamsapplegames.com um you can type out your pitch we'll read it or you can send us a audio pitch we got a, a bunch of them mm-hmm. on the way uh but you know get like get it to us like why not why not hear some feedback why not get it on the air there are people listening to this yep. podcast it's other people hearing it's free marketing it's it's a good way to get some feedback before taking it to a, another publisher to us i mean we're, we're even actually working on um uh you know we're continuing conversations with 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 some of the early games that have pitched so like it's the relationship building and networking has been awesome from this so keep coming keep throwing them at us we want we want to engage yeah so um this week we actually got some emails in. So one thing aside from that, even if you don't have a pitch and you're not to that point, feel free to shoot us an email with some questions. We'd be happy to kind of talk through and um, offer whatever information advice or uh, I don't know, it's the opposite of advice um, but that we, that we can we'll tell you what we've done from our experience and if there are any pitfalls exactly. to think of too. Uh, yeah. So you want me to read this or you want yeah, to read you shoot, it? Shoot, man. All right, so uh, I sorry, I'm not exactly sure who this is who this is from, but um, one of my big questions right now is how local publishers handle accounting. I've already had a business set up, and I'm wondering if there are any services that specialize or at least know more and are familiar with the Kickstarter specific income. on On their website, Kickstarter mentions that some states allow you to write off any funds you spend by the end of the year, but I, I'd be interested in knowing how long it takes to finalize payments for manufacturing and fulfillment. Um, this goes on, but let's just stop yeah. there. I mean, like, let's just answer that question first. So before we even jump into that, I think the first thing we would say is obviously we're not legal accountants <laughs> and a, a tax, you know, get tax advice from tax people, sure. um, verify all that type of stuff. So, um, but what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can, I can take, I can field most of this one. Um, so I, I have reached out to an accountant or to ask them about Kickstarter um, it, I was I was super surprised that the accountants that I reached out to had no clue how to handle crowdfunding. They're like, oh, really? yeah, really interesting. They're, they're, they're telling me things like so people just give you money. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're like, OK, well, um, if you got the money this year, but you didn't ship the product, then we have to tax you on it. And I mean, I mean, anyway, I forget the exact scenario, but but I, I'm basically talking to, to accountants and, and I'm, like, I'm like, hey, that's not what I've read on the Internet. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that people that have done this have handled it differently and it's worked out for them. Um, so essentially what, what we have done is we handle our accounting in-house. Unfortunately, after talking to a few accountants, um, I use a service called Wave to track um, expenses. Okay. Wave is a free online uh, like website app. And essentially, every time you, you make an expense, uh, it you, you can document it in there. You can link up your PayPal. You can you can link up your 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 bank accounts. So, it's kind of a one stop shop uh, for accounting. At the end of the year, it will print off, um, you know, a, um, I guess a, an income report, right? Yeah, like some sort of output that helps you file yeah, your taxes. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so that has been super helpful. Um, in general. What was that one called again? It's called Wave. Wave. Cool. Just want to make sure we're reiterating. Cool. Um, and, and again, free to sign up for. Um, it, it, it's pretty good. Um, so, so besides that, uh, I generally will not dabble in Kickstarter waters past uh, October 15th. Yeah, here, let me just read the rest of his question really yeah. quick. Um, obviously, I'll count for those fees in the initial budget, but if we fund in December of this year, how much do I set aside for taxes if we don't spend it all right away? Anyway, I'm still looking for um, someone to provide some insight into that, into all of that, so recommendations are welcome. Okay. Um, and then, oh yeah, so that's the next okay, question. Okay, so, so yeah, let me yeah. go back to the first question. So the first question is asking on the website, um, Kickstarter mentions some states allow you to write off any funds you spend by the end of the year. So this is this this is essentially um i mean i mean this is a good question right so if if you raise mm-hmm. uh money on kickstarter uh with within the year at the end of the year you are going to be taxed on the money that you raised however if you have paid for production paid for shipping paid for mm-hmm. the second half of production paid for marketing um within that same calendar year that's when you can say Those are expenses uh, money raised minus expenses equals taxable income. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple equation. I'll go through that again. Your money raised minus your expenses is equal to taxable income. Now, asterisk consolidate your tax. If, if you raise all your money <laughs> at the end of the year, and this is what he, this yep. is where he's going with this second exactly. second yep. of the question. If you raise all your money in October, November, December, and you don't pay the manufacturer, you don't pay for shipping until the next calendar year. Well, okay. Yep. Now you're actually uh, your taxable income is how much you raise in your Kickstarter. Exactly. Which is totally unnecessary. Also, and the, yeah, exactly. The reality of this business is like getting artists to work on your timeline is tough. Yep. Getting all things to um, click on anyone's timeline on, on a set timeline is really tough. Like getting files to the printer, uh, you know, right the first time is really tough. Um, there are just a lot of moving pieces, right? So, so how long would you say it takes to get um, it final? I mean, like, so there's a lot of moving pieces yeah. here, but if you were saying if everything went perfect and everything aligned and the, I mean, the manufacturer did everything great, yeah. how long do you think it would, and, and your design was flawless when you sent it to them, how long until you can pay? If, if you are literally done with all your artwork, graphic design, and you haven't added any stretch goals that change any of that stuff, you could technically uh, pay the manufacturer 14 days after your Kickstarter funds. Now, why is that? Well, Kickstarter doesn't ship you the funds until 14 days after you crowdfund. So first off, you have to mm-hmm. build that time in. Now, that's that's a beautiful ideal state. We, we all know that everyone uses stretch goals. We all know that things change during Kickstarter pro- pro- projects. And so yep. for me personally, um, I build about a month and a half in on the back end uh before i you know you know to, to allow for for that yeah final work and then also that payment to, to come in a month and a half after that kickstarter funding happens so that's why i say like i wouldn't go be, before middle of october because i i think it's just yep. you're going to be taxed on money that you're risking yeah you're not able to spend fast enough now the other thing to think about too is when you pr- uh, produce with the manufacturer like you're like oh that's cool i can just send them the check on send them a wire on December 30th and, and we'll all be good. Well, you're only paying either 30% or 50% up front. So 
there's another mm-hmm. big chunk of money that you probably just crowdfunded that now you have to pay taxes on because you didn't like because of the way that the production schedule and payments work. Um, now, speaking very frankly, you don't want to go ahead and say, "Yeah, I'll pay you 100 percent right off the get." Yes. Because then your manufacturer yeah. has no incentive to help you with customer service along the way. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you want to hold some level of power or some level of leverage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, all that's super, I mean, good advice, right? Like just staying away from, I mean, you can tell like in December, there's just not a lot of Kickstarters anymore, right? Like it's also the holidays, right? Like that's not the time that people want to be backing something that they'll be receiving in six to nine months when they're trying to find gifts for people. They're tapped because of gifts, Um, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's also like just a weird time in general for that. So realistically, I mean, you would be doing yourself a favor to, um, wait a little longer. I mean, we've histor- I mean, historically stayed away from a January Kickstarter because the exact um, same reason is like, oh, everyone spent all their money, right, you know, right. holidays are over. So there's, I mean, it's just, it's just like historically, like kind of not, I don't call it dead time, but uh, um, historically, there's less a lot less projects out there though, and, and, and maybe yes. not for a good reason, um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Now, there are a few caveats to this always, right? Like if your project is really small, yep. if you want to raise 500 bucks, whatever, go for it. Like you can afford your taxes yep. on 500 bucks. Um, if your, um, if your project point, is yeah. starting in December 1st and it's going 32 days, you know, and yep. you're getting, or whatever yep, you're, 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 you predict that your payment date is going to be in January, like you're taxed yep. in January then. So you could probably run it in November and it on December 28th and be fine and get it paid out in 14 days to get paid out but you know yeah like why why do that like why take the risk why why also why run a project over the holidays you're gonna kill yourself and your family's gonna be upset and like no one at you like you ruined (laughs) the holidays bud because you're gonna be responding to some email from some guy who's really uh i mean upset about something we love you on christmas a little less (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly so i mean I, I think realistically what we're saying here is just kind of avoid that time frame i mean just get lower your stress don't have to worry about artist influence it i mean like timelines with artists which can I mean shift timeline graphic designers how with um um manufacturers like just remove all that and just shift two months yep. you know like it's 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 probably playing safe and realistically two more months of marketing probably would do you even better probably will, you know yeah. use, use that effort so, to market and then launch you know just delay just do it in a different month like make it happen um yeah the things to watch out for so um lunar new year is a big holiday if you're producing oh online. yes um if you do delay your crowdfunding project you may come up uh to a production deadline that overlaps with lunar new year that is usually somewhere in february um basically the country yeah. shuts down from uh, a week there's also a week this in upcoming year that february 5th so yeah try not to plan anything around that yeah i mean make sure you avoid some of those dates just do your research uh yep. on, on international uh holidays and stuff too yeah so um i know we were trying to keep a tight 30 here but do you think maybe we just answer one more question and we save our topic um for the next week we, we can it's getting pretty close but yeah i think that's fine i think that's fine let's answer one more question and then we'll yeah we'll, let's do one we'll more it. uh so i'll go ahead and jump into this um how do you deliver games to backers how do you handle international f- fulfillment what are the important things to be aware of so yeah i think i mean there's a lot to unpack here so let's just jump into it Oofta. yeah this is this is yeah. a big one so 
Uh, so congrats. You, you funded your Kickstarter or, yeah. or your, you know, your, you've made your first game and you have some pre-orders. Um, like there's layers upon layers upon layers of details here, but what mm-hmm. I have found works really well. And what I would recommend, um, is you take a look at a few different fulfillment houses. Uh, you price them out, always get a few different quotes. Um, make yep. sure you, you add in there Amazon fulfillment. Um, it's it's somewhat yep. complicated. I know some of the industry leaders in crowdfunding have shied away from it. I still use it. I use it effectively. Yeah, we've done it for. Every, I mean, all the projects so far in the U.S. Right. Yep. And I think it's I think it's the most cost effective way to, to to ship a game. Now that being said, like every game is different, and you may have a really heavy game or expensive game yeah. or a small game, which could shift that one way or the other. Yeah, you, you kind of have three different, maybe three different tiers of size and weight. So if you have like your you know, card game, right? Like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cheap shipping and pretty small package. If you have like your maybe small box game, medium box game and big, big box game, like they all kind of have different LAs. So each different fulfillment house essentially breaks shipping up into three tiers. There's like kind of that small box, mid box and heavy box, mm-hmm. right? Or big box. Um, when you're delivering games to backers, like just figure out your plan. Make sure you set your logistics ahead of time. The time to do this is not right after you funded. It is after you after you have shipped files, after you have locked essentially locked addresses, box size, weight, yeah, things like that, which are going to actually help you. I mean, I think you could probably get a ballpark start like doing a little work during like obviously before going into the project you to get a should, yeah you should get pricing before for sure and just i mean what you can be doing just say but... hey i need estimates like i, I don't need exactly. I, I don't have exact numbers i'm, I'm expecting maybe i'm in this ballpark it's this size here. i don't know exactly and also i guess um on the side of that take into consideration what you're offering to your backers like are you going to add a play mat which requires a weird shaped box because then you're going to have to like obviously account for the shipping that yeah i mean so um any sort of add-ons that you think may be a good idea make sure to consider the shipping the more add-ons the more complexity right like the more details that you have to manage in every single order like i i get away with doing this um you know from from the seat of my seat of my computer because Mm -hmm. we keep things really simple on our projects like we have like one or two tiers to back like this is our first time with two variations was the yeah. first one with two variations and so now we're managing two skews but the good thing is that the skews are the same box size yep <laughs> and they literally have the same box one has a sleeve and more stuff in it um and so we, one we weighs plan less that than the other. to be really simple to manage from a fulfillment standpoint yes there's different weights but the dimensions yeah. are the same, same box size yeah every anywhere ships like okay this is what we need it may weigh a little less that should be cheaper hopefully we got it um so um international shipping um this is i mean obviously this is a big one because it's different per country different per region but um i guess is there a good resource you'd recommend or what would you say stonemeyer has uh stonemeyer games has has some great resources on this i'd say like that that uh, the key takeaway points the high levels are um take a look at the fulfillment center spreadsheet that stonemeyer games has set up there's maybe like 10 or 15 different fulfillment houses that service uh, the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia. Uh, Asia, including like Australia and um, mm-hmm. you know the rest of the, the Asian countries. Yep. And uh, 
figure out where you think you would play best. Make sure that you're working with a representative that's responsive. Um, when, you, when you're handling international fulfillment, one of the biggest things that you need to voice in this transaction is how much padding and protection yes. is needed. Yep. Um, this is just so easily overlooked. Um, one other the thing, confirmation of it, like make sure to say before you do this, please confirm. Yeah. And like, things like, like that. tell them to send pictures to you and stuff. It's fine if you pay an extra dollar or two on the front end, because you're saving like, like 50 or a hundred bucks on the back end. If you have to resend that yeah. copy out. Like, yeah, if you're in the U.S., like having to ship a another copy of a game or whatever is is you know is a bummer to have to do, but it's not like going to break the bank, right? But if you have to ship like two copies to um, Singapore, like that's not cheap. Yeah. So in and in general, you know, the best way to ship internationally is not to fulfill from the U.S. It is to fulfill um, from international yes. countries, and so send a case pack or send a pallet or half pallet to yep. a fulfillment house in that region. Um, one other high point, one other big point to, to talk about is value added tax. So European Union has this thing called value added tax. If also known as VAT, a, comp, a, a, a consumer purchases a thing in Europe, um, like essentially they need to pay like a 20% tax on that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes to the European Union. Um Kickstarter products fall into that as well. Now, the way that uh, people have been able to minimize that that harm to consumers is to pay the VAT upon import. And so mm-hmm. backer uh, project creators will actually pay the VAT cost to the fulfillment house based on the production cost of the game, not based on oh, retail costs. Interesting. That's really smart. Really, really, really reduce the, the pain that comes with this VAT. That's how international mm-hmm. shipping games and projects will ship with like, I don't know, 15 bucks international or 20 bucks international. It's still expensive to ship internationally, but that can greatly reduce it. Now, if that were part of that, it'd be 30 or 40, right? Yep. Yep. So yeah. So make sure to be doing a lot of research on that. Um, Also like depending on the type of game, like if it's a game that is likely to be, I mean like, you know, like um, Germans are into X game or I mean this type of game or that, like, know the market and like plan for those type of countries. Right. So, I mean, for us, Bruin USA, um, kind of pegged the United States, but at the same time, there were, there were some like international backers to it, but at this, I mean, like it, it just really wasn't like, Hey, this is a game that plays super well, um, globally just because of the theme. Right. Yeah. I mean, to give so, you some numbers too, Bruin USA was 95% us backers. Yep. Truck off was percent uh, Canadian. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Truck off was ninety percent US backers. Yeah. Uh Swordcrafters was seventy five percent US backers. And so the, yes. the scales have taken a huge jump in international. We've we've become an international force. No, I, um, we did it. <laughs> but but people are starting to hear about Adam's Apple games and I think that sword theme is just so much more universal where Bruin USA like the the, the beer landscape in Europe is so different. The food truck landscape is so different. Like yeah, these are things exactly. that just don't resonate as much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, take that into consideration. Like when like you're doing the research for your, I mean like design theme for your game, like, Oh, I may have to handle this type of um, shipping or this more, this will be more prevalent in this country. That type of thing. Yep. One more, th- one more big high point that I want to hit with internet international shipping is this company called send from China. They're essentially the Amazon of fulfillment houses, but in China. And they have 
pretty awesome international shipping um, uh, capabilities. And so not only do they hit all of Asia at a pretty reasonable rate, uh, but um, they're able to also ship to Europe and Canada and the U.S. at a pretty reasonable rate, respectively. Yep. The smaller the game, the more reasonable things are. The bigger the game, the less reasonable it is. But like I, I mean, we we haven't had huge gangbuster projects, and so sent from China is a super flexible option. It's pretty cost effective. I I pull the levers. I don't have to worry about some fulfillment house screwing things mm-hmm. up. I just tell them to bubble wrap and put plastic corners on, and things are good. Yep. Awesome. So um, that was some feedback on shipping so yeah hope that helps um, feel free yeah please um thank you for sending in the questions um feel free for everyone else to send in your pitches as well as questions just like that in email we'd be happy to take a little deep dive or if you have any questions on what we just mentioned feel free to shoot them in um we were going to talk about um essen but i will have to save that for our next um episode so um spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert now we have to talk about now it, we though, have so to. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in and um, reach out Adam where can everyone reach us uh, so three places Facebook uh, Adam's Apple Games Twitter at Adam's Apple Games and also um, shoot us an email Adam at Adam's Apple awesome cool well thanks everyone check them check